when you look like I do, I don't look like anybody different. <laughs> but at first it was, um, well, you never mentioned it. Are you sure you're one? You know, how can you be? How do you know? Uh, do you have a paper? So that was the attitude that I first faced. Indigenous perspectives. Indigenous perspectives. Indigenous perspectives. Stories from Indigenous public servants. Kansei. This is Indigenous Perspectives, a program where we hope to explore the experiences and perspectives of Indigenous public servants, what reconciliation means to them, and what it can be for Canada. No one would argue that racism isn't problematic. Its troubling pervasiveness in what is an increasingly more educated society is vexing. But worse still is when we see the phenomenon become internalized by its victims and perpetuated within their communities. Colorism, shadism, or intraracial colorism is discrimination within communities of color based on the varying pigment in skin. Those with darker skin can be regarded as less appealing or less refined and excluded socially by peers. In experiencing prejudice from a member of their own race, individuals may even begin to believe themselves that they are inferior as a result of their color. It may lead to self-stigma, depression, and other mental health problems it may be more damaging coming from one's own peer group because of the affiliation and the weight that carries to undermine one's core identity. It's an area where we need more research. If you're an academic in search of a study, this is important work. I've witnessed this kind of ranking, not just in the world around me, but in my own home. My children are biracial, and I remember clearly the first time I entered a room and saw their sleeves pushed up past their elbows and their arms thrust forward side by side by side as they compared their relative whiteness. I was horrified. And they were unmoved. If anything, confused. Amused, even, by my reaction. What's the problem, Dad? I told them at length, and to seemingly no effect. My teen, tween, and preteen had somehow been indoctrinated by society to believe in something never witnessed in their own home, something that their own parents' choice in a life partner should have inoculated them from. I thought I'd seen everything. But what I learned in talking to public servants in doing this series is that it goes both ways. Not only can you be excluded for being too dark, you can be shunned for being too white. And now, in their own words, 
the thoughts and feelings of some of Canada's own public servants on appearances, the benefits of blending in, the sadness in being shut out, the uncertainty of feeling that you're in two worlds but belong to neither. One of the things that your your listeners aren't going to be able to tell about me is that I look very, very Dutch. Like, I, I look like my father's family. So my father's family is Dutch, my mother's family is First Nation. I have on both sides indigenous family members far, far away, right? So I also have white family members. <laughs> so I would have to say, if, if you look at my percentage, I'm probably not very high on the percentage scale of being a, an indigenous person, but I'm still appreciative of the fact that uh, I do have some ancestors and I am part a descendant in some way. And I, I just rather try to connect to that a little bit than simply ignore it. And it was also, are you sure you're one? You know, how, you know, how can you be, how do you know, uh, do you have a paper? So that was the attitude that I first faced. Uh, it's different. But at first it was, um, well, you never mentioned it. You know, you would say it and then they just, it was okay, I guess. But when you look like I do, I don't look like anybody different. <laughs> I don't dress differently. I do feel foolish, especially because I, when I joined the committee, I joined the circle, the employee circle, from an awareness piece and to be part of the solution. And they asked me if I didn't mind being the Atlantic rep because they didn't have, they needed two when they only had one. So I agreed. But I almost feel foolish when my my name shows up at the bottom of emails as being the representative for the Atlantic region because I don't look the part. And I've never had the plight that the majority of the Indigenous community has, has had to face. It is an uncomfortable position to be in at times. But I just know things, and you bring them out slowly, bit by bit. You share, but at first there was no real recognition. It was it was a question of proving, you know. And then we started the campaign, or the government started a, a self identification, and I worked on that. And I went around and asked people, "Did you self identify? Did you self identify? Did you put in who you were?" And that helped. Now it's different. I would say in the last six years that it has changed.
I've definitely taken on a lot of the physical attributes of my father's family. And I have used that to my advantage. So the fact that I look white, but I'm actually indigenous, I take that with me into meetings so you can understand where it is that people are truly coming from in terms of biases or misunderstandings, prejudices, that sort of thing. And then I just, I break out my indigenousness when it suits me. Um, so that's, uh, my mom calls it, uh, she calls it an Indian and white person camouflage, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Yeah. So it really makes me wonder, what does it really mean to be an Indigenous person? I don't know that it's well-defined. With regards to the organization, they really just ask you to self-identify, but they really don't define what it should be. If you apply for a process and you self-identify as an Indigenous employee, in many cases they will ask you to sign a declaration or an oath that you are, in fact, an Indigenous employee. I want to define as a non-status Aboriginal or Indigenous person. My uncles all have their cards. I look at the representative, representative needs of the organization, and I don't want to take the spot of someone that may be more deserving than me. At the same time, I consider myself Acadian because I have Acadian descent, and in the same way, I still want to recognize my roots. I mean, I can trace my genealogy back to the family that signed the Treaty of Sovereignty. So I, I find that something special and I want to acknowledge it. And I want, just because I've been arm's length from all of this all my life doesn't mean that I don't want to sort of plug back in and, and bring that to my children and hopefully the generations to come. Yes. Absolutely. There's blonde hair, blue-eyed Métis, you know, and did you notice in the missing women, if they're pale, blonde, they get more attention than the ones that are dark and not as attractive. It's subtle discrimination, but it, you don't go by features. You just know in your soul, in your heart, who you are. I can't be anything else but who I am. I know my not everything about my family's history, but some family history. And I don't have a piece of paper. I don't need a paper. Uh, I don't need a sign that says I am, you know. But I do feel like I don't have any spot to be uh, in terms of being in the right place because I may appear too white and my culture and my lifestyle is not indigenous enough. At the same time, I want to be recognizing of my roots and I want to be part of the solution. So I raised my hand, but I still feel kind of like it may be inappropriate at times or seen as inappropriate that I actually would use that title for myself. My experience is very different. I grew up off reserve. Um, I'm bicultural. Um, so I have, I have one foot in one culture and one foot in another, which gives me an interesting perspective on things. I've had an interesting upbringing 
I've got gotten to see prejudice and racism from uh, from essentially behind enemy lines, which is which is fascinating from like a social kind of point of view. Um, but it's it's put me in a place where I'm not 100% accepted by either community. So that's that's a weird thing to reconcile. At one point, I joined a variety of um, groups on Facebook, and um, there was a local debate because a doctor in the Camelton area had taken a sticker from a basket of stickers and given it to an Indigenous child, and it was a sticker from the movie Home, where there's an alien that greets humans and calls them savages, and on this sticker, it said, greetings, savage or savages, and it created this big uproar. And when I tried to chime in, I was told on the Facebook group that I was diluted and that I should be quiet. And then when I raised my hand to participate in a an Aboriginal development program, a mentorship program, at one point uh, my, my boss at the time had asked me if I truly self-identified as an Aboriginal or Indigenous person, and asked if I did not feel that it had diluted over the years. So, in a sense, like I said, no matter where I go, it's almost seen as inappropriate that I identify myself this way. I do identify myself as a white woman, but I also identify myself as a, de- a descendant of of the Native tribe that... Uh, that sign is tr- the Treaty of Sovereignty. So that was an interesting finding for me when I looked into it, and it's something that I still cherish, even though I've, ne- I've really been arm's length from all of it all my life. We just do our work. We just go. We just know who we are, and that's any First Nation, no matter what nation, no matter where they're from and, and the Métis, no matter, they just, we just know in our heart, uh, in our soul, that's who we are. We belong to this land. We're of it, with it, for it. We're the land. We've been here. So what do you tell yourself every time you start to have these doubts or someone say something negative that that keeps you engaged in being a good representative for for the interests of of your region? I always try to focus on the greater good, and I look at it as, what's the alternative? If the alternative is that I stay in the shadows, then I can't really be part of the solution as much as I think the cause merits. It puts you in a place where you often have to, where you often have to justify to either other indigenous employees or non-indigenous employees, like why you have the job that you have. Like there's this perception that my indigenousness is what got me the opportunities that I have. So it's, um, 
It's an interesting challenge. I still think that there's a lot of work that we need to do in terms of awareness and education with uh, with the with the federal public service um, and Canadians generally. But if I can get to a point where I don't feel like I'm being unnecessarily judged by my culture, I think that's kind of reconciliation because we've we've kind of let go of all of those uh, all those biases and prejudices that we might have been programmed with from a young age. Indigenous Perspectives, Stories from Indigenous Public Servants, is a production of Employment and Social Development Canada. All opinions expressed on Indigenous Perspectives are strictly those of the individual and are not necessarily those of their employer. Public servants featured in this episode were Fanny Bernard, Andrea Dykstra, and Jeanette Fraser. Our main title music is by Boogie the Beat, with additional music provided by Greg Ryder. I'm Todd Lyons, host, writer, and technical producer for this series. Thank you for listening. Yeah, hey.